1: Hello, and welcome to Matters of Life and Death, a podcast where we will try to think through just that. How can Christians engage with questions of life, death, and everything else in between? My name is Tim Wyatt, and every episode I call up my dad, John Wyatt, to discuss issues in healthcare, ethics, technology, science, faith, and more. I'm a religious and social affairs journalist, while he is a doctor, a professor of ethics, and a writer and speaker on some of these issues. In other words, he's the expert but I'm here to ask the stupid questions, and hopefully some not so stupid, that help make sense of it all. So far on matters of life and death, we first look back at the history of previous pandemics, and then we discussed how COVID-19 was different from what has come before. Today we're going to chat about how we as Christians should be thinking when it comes to coronavirus. How do we square this global crisis with our belief in a sovereign and loving God? Could, or even should, we look for anything good to come out of it? What shape will our faith begin when all this finally comes to an end and something like normal life resumes? So thanks for dialing in again, John. Uh, Last time we've covered uh, the historical impact of plagues and on the church. Um, We've looked at how COVID-19... A current crisis differs from that and now we wanted to dig in a little bit deeper about what it might look like for Christians today to respond to coronavirus um, what what was the first thing that comes to your mind when, when you were when you were thinking about this question
0: well I think one of the issues which um, we need to reflect as Christians about is is the sovereignty of God in all this you know that um, it's easy to to imagine that we are in control of our own lives, especially for modern people, I think, to a greater or lesser extent of us all of us are control freaks and um, something when something like this happens it it's such a reminder both of our human frailty and vulnerability um, but I think a Christian response is also to see God's sovereignty in all this and um, certainly. As Christians have confronted disasters of all kinds over the centuries, um, an emphasis on the fact that God is in charge. What, however much it seems that the situation is chaotic and evolving in a completely unpredictable manner, and however much catastrophe seems to be unfolding, I think this this fundamental idea that that God is in charge, and 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 secondly that in his sovereign purposes God can use terrible and evil and inexplicable things and turn them to good and um, we've reflected in previous podcasts about the way that unexpected good things already can be seen emerging out of this terribly evil pandemic.
1: I guess the, the first thing that comes to mind is that this touches upon that you know really 2000 year old thorny question of difference between if god isn't causing evil things to happen is he knowing about them in advance and still allowing them to unfold
0: yeah and of course there is ultimately this deep mystery <clears throat> about suffering and evil and um it it's it's clearly something that we're not going to untie that particular knot but it is a difference isn't it between a a christian perspective on the situation and a completely um atheistic secular perspective an atheistic secular perspective says this is just incredibly bad luck you know this is this is a sort of mutation taking place and and then spreading and um we just got to um shrug our shoulders and say you know it's bad luck we we've got to try and work out how it happened we've got to try and find ways of minimizing the risk um so a christian perspective steps beyond that um and and says we believe that behind all this there is a god who isn't surprised a god who isn't um taken aback and whose authority is not being challenged and although we don't understand why there there must be there there are sovereign purposes at work and um but i i I do i do think the the important focus is is not to try to find explanations i know there's a sort of whole growth of um of theories circulating among christian circles on the internet about you know this is god's judgment for the following sins you know xyz choose your most egregious sins and then this is god's judgment on it um i i I don't think that's at all helpful i like the quote that says that suffering is not a question which demands an answer it's not a problem which demands a solution it's a mystery which demands a presence in other words Mm. the real question is how do we respond to this mystery uh, of the evil in our
1: midst it's fascinating when you look back at the historical record as far as i've done a bit of reading into this that the previous generations of christians have concluded that times of plague were a, in some sense a punishment from god um I, I remember i was told by a church historian that the very first service um for a special occasion written by the church of england only a few decades after it came into existence about 500 years ago was for a time of plague and, and it saw its role as almost calling the nation to repentance, calling on the wayward people to return to church, to rededicate themselves to the faith and then maybe this cloud would be lifted. Christians today, on the whole, tend not to believe that. What do you think has changed? Why don't we see COVID-19 as as punishment?
0: Yeah, very good, interesting question. I mean, certainly if you go back to the biblical record in the Old Testament, plague was sometimes used by god as as a as a means of judgment i mean you know right from the time of the exodus the plagues in pharaoh's egypt and so on um so that concept is certainly not a new concept but i think you know you think about jesus talking about natural disasters uh, like you know the the Tower of Siloam that fell and caused deaths. And then he asked the question, was it because these people were more wicked than others? And his answer is no. But what he then goes on and says, unless you all repent, you will similarly perish. In other words, it's a reminder of our frailty. It's a reminder of our vulnerability and fragility. And therefore, it's an opportunity to think about for all of us for the whole community to think about what really matters to focus on really important things as opposed to the triviality which so
1: often our lives are filled. Hmm. I like what you were saying earlier about sovereignty and you know at a time when the things that we place a lot of our trust in and our hope in and our security and ordinarily are crumbling with alarming speed you know the government is poleaxed because the prime minister is in hospital in intensive care and and all these things that we have putting our trust in things that we thought were sovereign are suddenly revealed to not be. And the one thing that is unshakable remains the sovereignty of God, the actual person who's in charge. And maybe the, the, the pandemic is a time, as you said before, to refocus on this idea that, you know, the nation's rage and the virus will, will spread, but nothing changes the ultimate trajectory of the universe, which has been decided at the cross and resurrection.
0: Yeah, interesting. In the Old Testament, that to the ancient Israelis it's the sea that symbolised all the most uncontrollable and terrifying potential power of 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 chaos, and and yet in the Old Testament, it's also God who tells the sea where it can go, who shuts the sea up, who's, who who allocates its limits, and and it specifically says God says to the sea: thus far you can go, and no further. And it's it's that confidence that. Um Yes, there are forces of chaos and um, unpredictability loose in the, our world and, and we are suffering from them, but ultimately uh, Christians by faith say there is a God who says thus far and no further there's a God who his steadfast nature, his covenant faithfulness to his to his creation and to the human race will will not um, be overwhelmed.
1: so said that you think that there's interesting um connections with pl- the idea of plague as a time of testing do you want to explain a bit more about what you mean by that
0: yeah so i mean it's related to um to the previous thought but but the idea that um it's in this kind of crisis when all our confident um securities are being suddenly knocked away you know, our security about our jobs, about our health, about our future prosperity, about education, about all these things that we thought we knew are, are all being shaken. Then we discover what really matters to us. You know, how how are we going to respond? Uh, is it going to be a way in which the trivialities of our lives the superficial the fake things in our life can be stripped away and, and of course this is a, a biblical theme you get it in in the the letter of one peter the idea that fire uh, is and is a symbol for suffering and it and it purifies it burns off the dross and there's a beautiful phrase in the greek where it says so that the tested genuineness of our faith is revealed so it's only in the time of fire that the tested genuineness of what we believe and of and of how we live is going to be revealed. So I, I think it is quite interesting just to think about how people are using this time in lockdown. I mean, you know, we hear there's massive amounts of binge watching of Netflix and huge amounts of computer game, people spending hours and hours playing computer games or... Uh, just filling up the time in sort of endless ways. But there's also, it's a real opportunity, isn't it, uh, of being in lockdown to decide, actually, I'm going to use this time for good. I'm going to use it to deepen my relationship uh, with my Lord. I'm going to use it
1: to, uh, to pray and to build Christian disciplines. Does that mean that what is being tested in us is almost the authenticity of our faith, to see, you know, this is where the rubber hits the road. And you might have called yourself a Christian and done X, Y, and Z, but now we find out who you really are underneath it.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. And I think, you know, that, that happens on an individual basis throughout a Christian life anyway. You know, I mean, when you look back on your experiences, you can see certain key points of testing when important decisions were made when the rubber hits the road as you say and um it's often only as you look back and you say yeah that was the point at which i can see now that those i was being tested in some way and um if you like this is a kind of corporate testing it's like not it's not just happening on an individual basis but it's almost as though the whole community is being tested uh, together and um, and the question is how we will respond and whether we are Um, there will be positive things, um, genuine growth and development that will come out of
1: this time. And I guess the important thing to note here is that the, the metaphor used throughout the Bible is the idea of the purification of metals through fire. And the point of that process, painful and destructive though it is, is that at the other end, you have something even better than what you had at the start that the, the gold has become more purer and the, and the dross and the impurities have been burned away. And so I guess the encouragement for us as Christians is that this is an, if this is an uncomfortable time of testing, the point is not because God is a sadist and wants us to suffer to, or to kind of like probe and, and see, see what we're really like. But the point is that at the, when we come out of lockdown, we have a richer, deeper, more fruitful faith than we had before.
0: Yeah and it and it's a very very curious paradox deep in, in in the heart of the Christian faith isn't it because even the son of god had to be tested you know the temptation of jesus in the wilderness is is clearly a central part in the whole narrative and it's and it's not until the testing has gone through you know that those testing in the wilderness that jesus's ministry really tend to starts and of course, at the end, in Gethsemane, he's being tested again he's uh, and um so if even the Son of God has to go through this kind of painful testing purification process, then how much more we as weak and sinful people uh too need to go through it and and instead of regarding it as a complete disaster and a tragedy and and something just to be. Um, avoided and um, instead there's an element in which we can say well this is not that we rejoice in it as you say we're not masochists and god is not a sadist but
1: but there is positive redemptive stuff that can come out of this Mm. and that mirrors people's experiences of smaller scale personal tragedies as well that you know christians have no guarantee of being spared from disaster and suffering and pain But what we do have is a God who we see time and time again in small and big ways can bring good out of them. And that doesn't always overwhelm or cancel out the suffering, but it does show that God has not gone silent in this time of crisis.
0: In related to that also is it's an opportunity for deciding on priorities, isn't it? we can actually here we are, we have opportunities which we hadn't imagined our diaries have all got cleared um so what really matters to you what what is what is most important um in in using this time um and I think this is where we can collaborate with the process and and maybe reflect and you know. Uh, Boris Johnson goes through this near-death experience in an intensive care unit and, and, you know, many commentators have said you can't go through that kind of experience without being in some way changed. And um, perhaps most of us are not going to go through quite that near-death experience, but nonetheless, going through this COVID-19 epidemic may change us. It has, there is an opportunity here for change, and, and one of the things that can change is our priorities deciding what really matters and what we want to do. Having gone through this experience together,
1: how do we want it to change us? Would you care to give any examples of what you think are those pr- new, fresh priorities might look like on the other side? Well, I think for me, the experience of, um,
0: of having Zoom prayer meetings uh, with people. Uh, some some in our local church family, some with close friends, some with our physical family, uh, some with people across the world, um, has given me a feeling, I don't want to lose this um, when we go back to normal life. Uh, there's something here which is really very precious and uh, remarkable. Um, and... Uh, so so that's a, it, it's giving me you know instead of just paying lip service to the importance of praying with others it, it's making it seem much more
1: real and, and something we can do on a daily basis I've certainly experienced something similar actually that it feels like suddenly there are s- so many things to pray for and in some ways that's rather than paralyzing that's actually energising whereas you know my prayer life is kind of comes in fits and starts ordinarily but actually when there is um, every day you're being seeing in the news new things to pray for but also as you say paradoxically connecting with friends near and far almost more than we did before because everyone is bored and stuck at home and perpetually available with an empty calendar means that I'm more aware of my Christian brothers and sisters needs and and, um, yeah I would certainly personally love to see this continued kind of emphasis on prayer carry over into a post-corona world.
0: I think also it does put a remarkable emphasis on practical caring, doesn't it? I mean, I was just amazed by the number of people who volunteered to do something practical with the NHS. Um, I think it was three quarters of a million and then they just stopped <laughs> wanting to ask for any more people. Um, but it it shows... Again, it puts an emphasis on on the value of of just practical care for others. Um, Altruistic care, not not seeking for any kind of reward, not doing it so that people uh, will notice or so that we get paid or anything like that, but simply because it's the right thing to do. It's a human, compassionate, uh, reaching out to people who are particularly needy. And it's also very encouraging to see the emphasis on elderly people, isn't it? because Mm. I mean one of the very peculiar things about COVID and and there are sort of a lot of medical debate about still precisely why this is is that it has this very very strong age relationship the mortality is very closely related to age and so that's quite different in most other infections and um it would be possible for a cynic to say that you know what COVID nineteen is doing is is getting rid of the demographic time bomb. You know, it's it's just getting rid of all those elderly people who are basically a drain on society and non productive, and uh, hugely expensive to care for, and so on. And so the virus is is doing a wonderful job. But actually, I haven't heard a hint of that in the public narrative. Um, quite the reverse. I've heard a lot of outrage about what's going on in care homes. And a real concern for the community to reach out to those who are most vulnerable, and to make sure that they're being properly cared for and protected. Um, and um, I think that's a remarkable and very positive um, thing. And, and again, one just hopes that that might continue in the
1: post-coronavirus world. Yeah, I've been reflecting on something very similar, actually. That you know, we hear, we've heard a lot over the last ten years about increasing intergenerational strife as you say the demographic time bomb and in the you know in the political sphere there's, a, there's been a sense in my generation that you know millennials and younger people are getting shafted at the expense of the baby boomers and the elderly because they vote more often and, and that kind of thing and and actually what I think is really healthy and really um humbling in a way is that this crisis has slightly told the lie to that narrative in that you know th- this nation and most nations around the world have instituted an entirely unprecedented self-inflicted economic catastrophe mostly to save the lives of those aged 70 and above you know for me as a a relatively fit and healthy 29 year old you know i would be fairly confident about taking my chances with coronavirus i don't want to get it but you know most people the vast majority of my age um are absolutely fine and yet me and millions of everyone else are obeying the government rules and staying inside almost pri- exclusively to look after um those that we were supposedly you know at war with in the political sense
0: yeah yeah i think it it is it's very striking and it is something about a common humanity i th- i think again if you look back at times of war there is this sense of a, of a whole community being under threat and therefore the divisions in the community become in a quite remarkable way overridden and again you see this is redemptive isn't it because here's this terrible evil thing and yet it is bringing out extraordinary uh, human qualities of um of, of care for the vulnerable of uh, communitarian of altruism uh, and, and so on and um you know i, I I think as Christians we need to be in the forefront of this and we need to be thinking particularly you know who are the most vulnerable I think one of the interesting things is uh several people have pointed out about the digital divide you know that that if you're middle class and professional uh by and large you're having a very good war quotes you know you're Hmm. uh, able to work from home you've got good wi-fi you've got access to broadband you've got excellent technology and you just get on with your life but if you're um, outside the digital world, if you're elderly and 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 you haven't got Wi-Fi and it's all very expensive and difficult to to log into the internet and so on, then you're locked out of a great deal of this. And so, I think innovative and creative ways to reach out to people who are unable to access digital resources, um, and uh, I, I think that's going to be a, a particularly important activity for Christians, both now and looking on into the future, because it it does emphasise how important access to digital resources is going to be in in the new world.
1: Mm. Many people are already talking about it as, you know, a new utility broadband access, along with water and gas and electricity. And I think it's increasingly going that way. I mean, I've been really fascinated. We've been doing a bit of volunteering in our community and knocking on doors on behalf of the council and checking particularly kind of people in sheltered housing and who are older people, whether they are kind of being looked after if they can't leave the house. And it's really opened my eyes to some of the things that I'd never even thought about. You know, one person said, um, they have no one to cut their toenails and they can't do it for themselves. And ordinarily a carer would come in and do that, but that's not possible anymore. And it's these small things that actually as Christians, you know, I should be aware of the of the needs of my of those around me, um, I should be uh, feeling the, the pain and the, and the sacrifice that they're making, even if, as you say, my life as a freelance journalist, uh, relatively well off, all things considered, is, is ticking over mostly the same as it was pre-lockdown.
0: And, and this is, again, so interesting because this is what Christians have done right from the early church onwards. You know, because of the example of Christ, a Christ who was involved in practical compassion and in, in caring for the nobodies of society his followers for 2000 years have always had this orientation towards the nobodies and um towards the disempowered and i do p- hope and pray that this this will be one of the you know, the positive things that that this will be further enhanced coming out of coronavirus i do think that what is becoming apparent though is that um not only is there a digital divide but i'm afraid the north south divide is going to be enormous when it comes to coronavirus and i fear and i think a lot of people fear that this virus may well become established in some of the most um impoverished places of the world like slums of africa and india and asia and latin america And that it could have devastating consequences in some of those areas. And so it's a real challenge as to whether the rich North and Western nations and whether Christians in those nations will respond altruistically. And um, so instead of a kind of very nationalistic response that we're okay, so we're just going to close our borders and protect ourselves, instead we say we really must now do everything we can to minimize death and catastrophe in low resource countries
1: i think there's a really important challenge there to us as christians because it's very easy to get totally consumed by the what's going on in your own nation because there is so much going on and there's so much need and suffering but actually as you say we're only really at the beginning of this because. I guess mostly for kind of interconnected reasons, the West has been hit first after it broke out of China. And it is places in Africa and Asia and Latin America, as you say, the global South, the poorer nations of this world who, are, who the virus is only really getting set in. It's several weeks behind where it is in the UK. And so I think it's vital that we kind of remind ourselves and lift our eyes up both in prayer and practically thinking about what are the needs of people in a slum in nairobi or something like that um when you know and rather than obsessing about ppe and testing here important though that is how are we thinking and praying and giving money and, and other resources to those for whom that's all a kind of a pipe dream
0: yeah absolutely and i think that the real testing time is going to come in the next few weeks and months as far as as this virus almost certainly unless most extraordinary thing happens as it continues to spread across the world and, and possibly with um, you know, recurrences coming back in the future. I think another issue um, which is close to my heart is, is helping people to think about, and the Christian people in particular, to think about the possibility of their own death and also the death of their loved ones. Um something i've been interested in for a long time wrote a book came out a couple of years ago called dying well but i have to say when i wrote that book i was imagining uh, a long slow death i was imagining people facing you know the the common way that people die things like cancer degenerative conditions like alzheimer's disease and so on and i wasn't at all thinking about death during a pandemic and one of the terrifying things about covid19 is the is this possibility that somebody starts off with a fever and a bit of a headache, and then over the space of a few hours, they can develop really severe respiratory distress, uh, rushed into hospital, hypoxic, confused, um, put in an intensive care unit, and then they're dead. Um, and so um, and what it reinforces to me is that we have to be having this conversation with our loved ones about dying and about what dying means and preparing ourselves for death um, before it happens before the infection strikes because it's going to be too late once we've actually got infection it's too late to start having these conversations
1: and what do those conversations look like i mean have you gone back to your book i think it's only a a year or two old and and do you think a lot of the advice in in that still applies to this day even though it was mostly written for people with kind of long-term degenerative conditions
0: yeah, well, actually, I have because um, there's a a book about to come out um, produced by IVP um, with Luke Corley, who's the editor. It's a multi-author book on Christian responses to coronavirus, and I was asked to write the chapter on dying. So I took the material in my book and I've tried to adapt it, and a lot of it is is relevant. I think it's all about having conversations, particularly with the vulnerable, those people who we can see are at a particular risk from the virus about having honest conversations now with you know if they became unwell would they want to be admitted to hospital uh, would they prefer to be cared for at home um would they want to have every possible treatment or would they see this as actually a possibility of of, say, of saying enough is enough and i'm going to accept um and that if god is going to take my life i'm going to just let that happen And if so, what are the things now that you can do? What are the conversations we talk about now to prepare ourselves uh, for what it means to die well?
1: It strikes me that a lot of that, what you have just talked about, is all profoundly taboo ordinarily in a lot of British society and culture. And that's, I guess, why these conversations go unsaid, is that people, even Christians, feel very uncomfortable discussing these things. Do you think coronavirus is changing that? Is it starting to break down those taboos as people are faced with their own you know, imminent demise?
0: Well, I'd like to say yes, but I'm not at all convinced it is. But I do think that there's an opportunity. I, I think, you know, as we've talked about before, this, is a, this time of plague is a test But it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for us to have the kind of conversations we don't normally have. And particularly an opportunity to reach out to older people, to our loved ones, to those who are vulnerable, uh, to tell them we love them, uh, to say the things to them maybe that we've never said, uh, but also to ask them, what are the things that you're most frightened about as you look towards the future and what might happen? Um, And what can we do to make sure that we're there for you? One of the things that people most fear of all about dying is actually not the process of death itself, so much as the process of abandonment. It's this idea that I'm going to have to go through something utterly horrific without human contact, without those I love around me. And so trying to reassure people that we're going to be there for them and in this particular complex situation, the virus, that's one of the arguments for saying, actually, if an elderly person gets the infection, it will be better for them to stay at home because then their loved ones can be there around them, supporting them, um, whatever happens, rather than being admitted to hospital where they will be, find it impossible to get support from uh, both their relatives, but also spiritual support and so on.
1: Yeah, and I'm sure you've seen, like, I have some of those really heartbreaking stories of, of people who are dying on COVID wards in hospitals and are dying totally alone, totally surrounded just by the occasional nurse or doctor who's almost invisibly swaddled in their PPE and, you know, nurses and doctors facilitating these snatched five-minute video calls where people have to say goodbye to a relative and maybe not even able to have the funeral. It's one of the greatest tragedies, it seems to me, of coronavirus. Yes, it is, and and you know that's why
0: dying on an intensive care unit is the worst possible place to die. If it's likely that you're going to die, much better to stay at home and be cared for by those who love you, rather than to die in an intensive care unit. Um, and so, and also because spiritual care of the dying is such an important part of that, uh, not just for believers but for everybody to be able to. Um, you know, have those final conversations to be able to have somebody who's praying for you to be able to have someone who's squeezing a hand. all these things really matter they're much more important than um being admitted to an intensive care unit if really the chances of survival are very small so these are difficult, painful issues, but again, it seems to me they're an amazing opportunity.
1: Hmm yeah i agree thanks so much john that's been uh, some really helpful insight difficult conversations in, in some way to have but um I, hope, I think that will be really helpful to people experiencing some of these things and uh i think we're we'll talk again soon looking in a bit more detail about the experience of health professionals on the front line in the uk um and how we as christians can kind of uphold them and support them at this time yeah great stuff speak to them listening to this episode of Matters of Life and Death. If you'd like to dig deeper into some of the things we've talked about, you can find lots more to read, listen and watch at John's website. He's uploaded resources on everything from assisted suicide to the big picture narrative of the Bible to artificial intelligence, all free to access and share. Please visit johnwyatt.com. That's j o h n w y a t t.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do share it with friends. It can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all other major podcast apps. The music in the show is by Daniel Birch. Thanks for listening and we hope to see you again next time.